0: Y'all could be seated. Lord, I pray that your spirit would prepare our hearts for your living word. I believe you want to work in our hearts today in an area that is is impossible on our own. But with your help, maybe there could be some breakthroughs in our lives. Please, Please go before and behind us. Lead us out of here according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before I start preaching, I want to say thank you very much for the surprise, and I guess, speaking of security, we're going to have to start screening our announcers a little more more closely. I'm going to talk about something today that some might see as where preaching crosses into meddling. Uh, the topic, as you can see up there, is sin and forgiveness. And I think about a quote by C.S. Lewis, who who said, everybody loves the idea of forgiveness until they have someone to forgive. I wanna share a story from Steve Santani. Thank you for sharing this. I believe it will connect with a lot of us. A lot of us have been here. Maybe some of us are here. This morning, he said, Growing up with his brother Chris, we're as close to being enemies as two brothers could be. Just like Jacob and Esau, right from the start. Being just a year apart in age and me being the older brother, he couldn't stand me doing things ahead of him or getting to know a neighbor kid first. He would continually lash out towards me and was pretty much a thorn in my side all the years growing up together in the same house with six other siblings. Things eventually mellowed as we became adults and we even ended up buying property together, starting with a house we shared for two years. We also vacationed every year on a houseboat with our dad. So all was good and seemed fine between us. That's when, while we were driving up to stay on the houseboat for a week, God put it on my heart to deal with the resentment issue. With Pops and Brother Bob asleep in the back of my van, I told Chris of the resentment I had toward him growing up. I confessed it wasn't right and and asked for his forgiveness. He was quiet the whole time, a rare occurrence, and just nodded that he would forgive. I was then able to share with him how God had forgiven me of all my sins, making it possible to be cleansed inside and from any thoughts or feelings of bitterness or resentment. So that trip was one of the best that I can remember and led to some good, meaningful conversations about God once we got there and since that time as well. A lot of us have been there, maybe some of us are there this morning. We're going to walk through four questions dealing with sin and forgive this morning that I hope will help us. The first one is this, what should I do if my brother sins against me? And we're going to walk through four steps that Jesus prescribed to the church don't necessarily always have to go through every step you go as far as you need to but you do need to go in order it's important that we do not skip any steps that the Lord has given us step one when a brother sins against me you know what it is go to him alone alone Matthew eighteen fifteen. Jesus says if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Step one, do not skip it and do not miss the alone. Now, I want to put an asterisk here. There are a few exceptions to this. One is if it's not actually sin. Notice it says if your brother sins against you. Before you go confronting someone, make sure it's a sin that you can explain from the Bible and not just something that that got your hackles up because you're different than that person. Okay, so if it's not sin, just don't even go there. Second, I realize in this world, there are sometimes marital situations where perhaps a husband is physically abusing a wife. In a situation like that, I believe it's valid for the wife to seek help elsewhere to deal with the issue. I wouldn't necessarily encourage her to confront him one-on-one. Sometimes in the church, there's a public matter that needs to go straight to the elders. For example, if one of our small group leaders was teaching that Jesus is not fully God and and he's not the only way to salvation, well, right away, that becomes a public matter where the elders need to step in and protect the flock from that false teaching. But those are exceptions. In most matters, when a brother or sister sins against you, you need to go alone and talk to them about it. But what does the human flesh say to that? We say, I don't want to. That's hard. It's so much easier to talk to someone else about them than to go straight to them, right? I want to give us some biblical basis. For not going to someone else. A lot of it comes from Proverbs. In Proverbs 10:19 says, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 16:28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Perhaps the most visual and my favorite here, Proverbs 26:20, 20, without wood a fire goes out. Without a gossip a coral dies down. And I think about how the enemy if he can't get us from outside, he's going to work to get us from inside, right? He's crafty that way and I think about gossip in particular. I want you to imagine that, that maybe you shared something and you start to see how far it spread in the church or in a group of people and, and, and you came to me and say, how do I get all that back? How do I gather it back up? And, and I'm gonna paraphrase something I read. I want you to imagine that, that Carolyn and I, after you asked that question, said, let's go up on Mingus Mountain and you bring a couple dandelions in seed form. And, and we'll go up there and imagine it's a night like last night where that wind was blowing. And we go up there and we pull those dandelions in seed form out of the bag and, and we tell you, go ahead and blow those. And you watch as the wind takes them, takes them everywhere. And then I would look at that person and say, go, go gather all those seeds up. And what would they say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. it's a lot like that with gossip once it begins to spread now think about that you've probably seen the the memes on Facebook talking about choose your heart Uh, one of them goes like this obesity is hard, being fit is hard choose your heart being in debt is hard, being financially disciplined is hard, choose your heart communication is hard, not communicating is hard choose your heart Life will never be easy, it will always be hard, but often we can choose our hard, choose wisely. And the reason I bring that up here is, look, I know that going to a person one-on-one is hard, but I'm telling you that cleaning up the mess once gossip spreads is harder. Jesus goes on. You go one-on-one, it says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This starts to get to the goal of the confrontation. What is the goal of, of the meeting? Is it to, to win an argument? Is it to blast the other person into tarnation? No, the goal is to gain your brother. What's that mean? To win him, to, to be reconciled, to bring harmony in that relationship again. That's a loving goal, right? So when we go to someone, one of the first questions we need to ask is, why am I going? Is there a heart of love behind this? Is my desire for reconciliation? 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 16 says, but if he does not listen, then we go to step two, go to him with one or two others. Jesus says, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice we're not going to church leadership yet. Okay, we're going in order. You take two or three others, maybe closer to the situation and and talk to them about the concern. This is based on an Old Testament practice, right? Deuteronomy 1915, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be sustained. These witnesses may be key if it goes further, but also, you know what those witnesses are gonna do? They're gonna help, Lord willing, gain a balanced perspective by being objective, right? It's hard to be objective when you're in the middle of it. And this counters one of the weaknesses of gossip because in gossip, when you go and tell someone else uninvolved with the situation, guess what? That person is only hearing one side, your side. Here, both parties are able to share their perspective in the context of witnesses, right? Think about what Proverbs 18:17 says. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Don't think you've got the whole story if you've only heard one side. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, step three, go to the church leaders. Jesus says, tell it to the church. In most contexts today, what that means is going to the leaders of the church with the concern. And if he refuses to listen even to the church. Step four, treat him like a Gentile and a tax collector. Now you gotta put yourself in the shoes of a Jewish person at this time. Gentiles and tax collectors often weren't welcome to fellowship at the synagogue. Okay, what's he saying? He's saying if they won't listen even to the leaders, love that person, but explain to them that they are no longer welcome to fellowship in your flock. You say that's harsh, it is strong. But I want you to keep in mind that even this has to be attached to the goal we talked about earlier that it would wake that person up to the seriousness of their sin, bring them to a point of repentance where Lord willing they come back to fellowship. That's always the goal in mind. But discipline's not easy. Parents know that. One of the least favorite parts of the job, right? But it's biblical. So I want to talk about a second question here. What promises can the church hold to in situations of discipline? I believe God knew we needed these encouragements because sometimes it's, it's easier, it's tempting just to sweep things under the rug, right? But for the church to be all that it can be, Sometimes discipline is required. And I think the three encouragements we're talking about here for the church could be extended by way of application to you parents who are seeking to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First encouragement, I'm going to read from verse 18 in the New American Standard because I think it better honors the tenses of the Greek verbs there. Verse 18 says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. It's already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. It's already been loosed in heaven. I believe what God is saying here, he's saying as you discipline sin, know that you're doing my will. I've, I've willed that in heaven to be part of what happens in the church. Second encouragement, verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Did you ever realize that verse is in the context of church discipline? So I believe what he's saying here is, as you discipline sin, you can cry out to me for guidance and I will give it, I will answer. And finally, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What's he saying there? As you discipline sin, know that I am with you. I am with you, but this is only true if discipline is done in God's way that we're reading about. We go off on our own plan. We skip steps, change it up. Not going to enjoy the benefits of those promises because God's not going to bless. And it's only beneficial, these promises, when we do it with his heart. What's his heart in these situations? You hear it in Galatians 6.1. Paul says, brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness You know that word restore there means to mend or set a broken bone? Turtle, you know about that, right? You broke your femur. That that bad boy had to be set. It's restoration. And I want you to never forget the context this passage comes in. If you were here with us last week, you remember Jesus told us about a shepherd that left behind 99 to go after the one. That's the context here. That's God's heart even in discipline. Third of our four questions. Maybe you got somebody repeatedly offended you in 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 your life and maybe you have the same question that Peter had. How many times? Do I got to forgive this guy? <laughs> Verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And he may have thought Jesus was going to be impressed with that because at the time, common teaching among the Pharisees was, was three times and then they're cut off because there should be repentance. And if they don't repent after three times, that's it. So maybe Peter's thinking, hey, I'll double that three, add one to get to that number of completion. And Jesus is going to say, add a boy. You got it, Peter. Wow. What did Jesus say? Verse 22. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, I want to set a little biblical context here. He's talking about 77 times forgiveness and more than that, as we'll explain in a minute. But those who knew their scriptures at that time would have thought, to a passage where that same number was mentioned in a context of revenge. Did you know that? Because Cain had a descendant named Lamech. You know, Abel and Cain, Cain killed his brother. Cain had a descendant named Lamech. Listen to what was said in Genesis. It says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Pay attention to my words. For I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. That's revenge and then some, right? And he finished with this. He said, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. What a contrast with what Jesus said. But is not that the spirit of the world? And do you not see it more and more? That person wronged me. Here, Jesus says, forgive 77 times or 70 times seven. Seven being the number of completion. Is he saying, hey, once they hit 491, stop? Yeah. <laughs> no. That number of completion, he's saying, Peter, there is no limit. He's, he's alluding to what Paul would say later. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Right? What a contrast to the ways of this angry, angry world. But you know what? We have an opportunity for that kind of forgiveness to be a huge platform for our witness. That would be one thing that would really set us apart from the world around us read about this in Voice of the Martyrs in the Middle East, but I believe it's true here as well. I never heard of a religion called Druze until this week. How many of you have ever heard of that? D-R-U-Z-E. Just a couple. There's only about one million Druze followers in the world. In Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. It's a combination of the Abrahamic faith, Greek philosophy, even Hinduism. And I want to tell you about Two young men that were in that faith, Haney and Samer. Haney came to faith in Jesus Christ, okay? But I want you to read something Samer said about the Druze faith. He said, for the Druze, honor and dignity are so important for someone to insult you, to threaten your dignity, to disdain you. If you don't go and take revenge and take your rights back, you are a coward and a very weak person. That was built into the, the faith, the Druze faith, but then something happened in 2017. Samer's car was set on fire, and immediately those thoughts of vengeance and his need to dole it out filled him. But he met Haney, who had already come to the Lord, and Haney urged Samer not to retaliate. He said, No, we should not take revenge. We should be loving and forgiving. Samer was was shocked at at even the suggestion of of that he said this was the first time for me to see a Druze person who does not have the desire for revenge but that suggestion opened the door for Haney to go on Haney told him the parable we're just about to get to about the master and the unforgiving servant and he closed it by saying Samer God forgave us for immense debts and we cannot forgive others. That hit Samer deeply and his heart was softened by the gospel. Haney went on to tell him about Christ and Samer received the Lord at great cost. His family rejected him. Customers stopped coming to his barber shop but the author of the article said others could see the dramatic change in Samer's personality. In his own words, he said, I used to be so intolerant. I didn't tolerate people even walking by without scowling at them. What's well, really cool, is Samer's personality changed so much that his wife, his wife also placed her faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I think about that. Truth with love and forgiveness is a powerful witness. I believe that's just as true here as it is over there. Now we know, we know that, that love apart from the truth of the Bible misrepresents God, right? Whatever the world calls love apart from the truth of the Bible, that's a, a mischaracterization of God, but there's another side to it. I wonder if we've ever thought about. Did you know that truth apart from love and forgiveness misrepresents God every bit as much? You may be saying the right words, but because of your lack of love and forgiveness, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? If you don't have love, you're just a noisy gong. You're just a clanging cymbal, you're annoying. And there's enough symbols and gongs in the world You wanna stand out, you combine that truth you have with God's love and his forgiveness. Last of our four questions. What if I don't forgive my brother? Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, to put this in perspective, 10,000 talents, that means little to most of us today who use dollars and quarters, right? 10,000 talents. Jewish historian Josephus says that the annual tribute from Galilee and Perea under wealthy Herod was only 200 talents. 200 talents. We're talking about 10,000 talents. Millions of dollars. An amount that would be impossible to pay back. Verse 25: Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him: Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him or compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. I like the words of Charles Erdman here. He said, this is evidently a picture of our relation to God and of his pardoning grace. Surely we have nothing to pay. Day by day, our debt has been increasing It is beyond all measure, and we have no hope of payment. Even if one should live a perfect life in the future, he would have nothing to offer for his failure in the past. That God has freely forgiven us all our debt. He has canceled every obligation for the sake of his own dear son. I agree, that's what's being pictured here. So the servant's forgiven. What joy he must have had. Surely he would spread that love and joy around. If you believe that, you haven't read the rest of the story. Verse 28 says, when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Now, scholars differ on the exact amount. That might have been about 20 bucks. You know, what's that? Almost get you a happy meal at McDonald's these days? 20 bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Sounds familiar to where he had been a little while ago, right? Verse 30 says, he refused and went and put him in prison. For 20 bucks. This man forgiven millions. Put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. I'll talk to you about the king's response. Verse 32, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you. What's he saying? He's saying, in your dealings with this other servant, you should have remembered clearly my own dealings with you and passed it on. If you're struggling to forgive someone in your life, that's one key step you could take today. Remember the forgiveness that Christ paid for on the cross for you. Think of every sin in your life that, that he's forgiven. Think of truths, wonderful truths in Scripture, for the believer in Jesus Christ, like Micah 7:18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. What wonderful mercy he gives us. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Last but not least, Ephesians 432 to 5 verse 2. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. You like the way He forgave you? Imitate him. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In nutshell form, I think of the way C.S. Lewis put it, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. what would this master do? Verse 34, it says, in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Speaking of debts, you know what I think of? I think of what Paul wrote to believers forgiven by God in Romans 13, eight. He said, owe no one anything except to love each other For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This servant refused to love and forgive the other servant and he suffered the consequence. So what's the point of this parable? Jesus drives it home in verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart one of the more disturbing passages in scripture, and rightly so. You say, what is he talking about he, he will do to you? And what's he talking about this jail? Now I'll confess that scholars throughout the years have wrestled with this because it's so harsh a statement, but it's there. Some have suggested that, listen, if unforgiveness characterizes your life, if that's the track you ride consistently on, It's possible you're not saved at all. It's possible you've never really experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's an important thing to explore today. If you're there living in bitterness and unforgiveness and that's the trajectory of your life, have you ever truly experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? Now, I do believe sometimes even true believers in Jesus fall into this trap of unforgiveness. And what would it mean then? Well, in in that case, if you're holding on to sinful unforgiveness, it's not on your eternal account. It's not gonna keep you out of heaven. Christ has washed that sin away, but it is on your relational account right now. It is blocking your fellowship with the Father. And if you wonder why you feel so empty and don't have peace and don't have joy One reason could be that you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, and he's disciplining you. He will not allow you to be content there. He will discipline you as a loving father disciplines his son until you let that go. Think about the jail analogy. Warren Wearsby said this, the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we're only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. More to the point, you've heard the quote, holding onto anger and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. What if that's you today? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you have some unforgiveness to confess today? You need set free? I would beg you, don't leave here without making that exchange with the Father. Some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, I wanna forgive, but help me with the, the how, please. This is such a big thing, right? Well, first you need to realize it is a choice. I think of what Corey Ten Boom said, and this is a woman who was tortured by Nazis along with her sister and later forgave them. You want to listen to her words about forgiveness. She lived them. She said, forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. What's that mean? It means you may not feel like it this morning, but you can make that choice with the Lord's help. What does it mean to forgive, to let go of that other person's debt and your desire to make them pay for it? Leave the person in God's sovereign hands. Some of you are still saying how. And for that, I wanna briefly walk you through eight bullet points you'll see at the bottom is from LA Christian Counseling and I wanna start with a couple disclaimers here. I know, I know, not every Christian counselor gives biblical advice, okay? So don't email me about that. I also know there are many wonderful Christian counselors who do. Also, I haven't read everything on the LA Christian Counseling website so if you find something up on there that's unbiblical, don't email me about that either. I'm not endorsing everything they put out there, okay? Save us all some time this week. But I did find this to be helpful. Number one and two kind of go together. Acknowledge the pain and think through things. This, this speaks to what forgiveness is not. It's not pretending nothing happened. God doesn't do that in the Bible. Over and over he tells sinful humanity about their sin because there's a problem, right? Forgiveness is not denying that there was hurt. So acknowledge there was hurt. Acknowledge it's real and what it's done in your life. Acknowledge the pain, think through it. This third one I think is beautiful. Imagine being on the other side. What are they talking about? Have you ever been in a situation where you wish someone would forgive you for something you did? I have. Imagine being there. Remember what it felt like when you didn't have that forgiveness. And then think of what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Imagine being on the other side. Fourth, we already talked about it a little bit. Remember God's forgiveness to you. Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, my dad was talking about this, and it was so powerful. You think of when Stephen was being martyred for preaching the truth, being stoned, as he's being stoned. And you think about the things he said, and I want you to ask the question, how was he able to say these things? Acts 7, 56, as, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. My dad brought out a great reality. When you look at the two things Jesus said there, do they, or Stephen said there, (laughs) slipped there because of where I'm going. Do they not remind you of the very words of Jesus on the cross, right? Receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against them. And and his point was, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more we look to him instead of focusing on those who've offended us, the more freely that forgiveness will flow. I think of Jesus on that cross. I, I think of Stephen right here and the impact it had on a young man named Saul there watching and, You know what Mark Twain said? He said, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Number five, reflect on God's command. It is not a suggestion by God, forgiveness. It is a command. Six, let go of the hurt. Even if you have to repeatedly continue to put it in the Lord's hands, cast your cares on him. For he cares for you. Seven, continue to forgive. Because you all know you can make the choice once, but you're gonna every time you see that person, you gotta make that choice again. All right? And finally, pray for the person. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who've sinned against you. As we close, I'll come back to the end of Steve's writing. He said that "That moment on the houseboat with his brother was almost three decades ago. He says, I'm even more aware now, especially in these last days we're living in, just how important it is to forgive as we are forgiven and not allow a root of bitterness to defile us. With so many among us, even Christians sometimes, Being offended so easily or offending others by some unworthy right to divide, we must forgive. Show grace and guard our hearts with all diligence until he comes. In Christ, Steve Santani. Amen, brother. I had a previous pastor when he found something that would really preach. He said, that dog will hunt. That dog will hunt. And Steve, raise your hand for a second. He told me I could point out who he was. If You can talk to any of us if you're at this crossroads, but if you want to talk to Steve about his journey and maybe you're there today, he'd love to encourage you. But as we close, I want to invite us to just bow our heads, go before the Lord, and I'm going to throw out a couple questions. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit moves in this room. Number one, have you received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? If you haven't, it's no wonder you can't forgive others. You, You need to deal with that with him first. He loves you. He died for your sin. Place your trust in Jesus Christ today. Receive his forgiveness. If you have, I want to ask you a couple questions just to ponder before the Lord. Is there anyone you're holding a grudge against this morning that you need to go? like that shepherd after the one to do everything in your power to restore that relationship. They may or not, may not respond, that's not your business. What do you need to do to, as Paul said, as much as possible, live at peace with all men? Is there anybody you need to seek out? Anybody you need to call? Anybody you need to have a meal with? Because your relationship's broken by sin, whether it's yours or theirs. And the second question is closely related. Is there anyone you need to forgive this morning? You've been drinking that poison and it's killing you. You need to look up to the forgiveness you've received, thank the Father, and say, Please, Lord, help me pass that on. To my brother or sister, I need you. I need your spirit's power to do this. I will choose to obey, but I can't do it without you. If God's answering either of those questions in your heart, will you take that step? Not enough to to know it. Will, Will you say, yes, Lord. I'll make that call. I'll visit that person. And follow a savior who died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray.